Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. I've added this note to the beginning of my most recent and highest downloaded episodes to let you know of a few changes and hopefully avoid any confusion for you as listeners. You will hear me call the show Life After Business as well as reference various ventures I've been a part of over the years. When I started the show, I originally named it Life After Business because I was on a mission to learn everything I wish I would have known before we sold our family business back in 2014. And after 200 episodes and Tons of information that I've learned. I finally decided to change the name to better reflect me, the content, and the guests. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is business owners and entrepreneurs who were the happiest and most successful, in my mind, didn't focus only on sucking all the cash out of the company, and they knew the business was going to eventually continue on without them at some point in time. They literally knew exactly what they wanted from their business long term and why. They intentionally focused on building a valuable company so they could have the freedom of choices to do what they wanted from the business. So they focused on strategies that would grow value long term and give them the freedom to choose. You can learn more about the name change, my major lessons, and our definition of intentional growth in episode 200. Enjoy the episode that you're listening to right now, and thanks for being a listener. Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand how to increase the value of your business, what your company is worth, and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business and take pride in a valuable company that gives you freedom and choices to exit on your terms. Welcome back to the Life After Business Podcast. This is episode 179, and we are in episode three of our value growth series. And today's guest is the one and only Pat Hobby, who is my business partner at Arcona. Pat has decades of experience as a CFO running dozens of companies, doing dozens of acquisitions from purchasing them to selling to ESOPs to running the back office of a private equity firm in the portfolio of businesses. Ridiculous amounts of experience and one of Pat's amazing amazing, unique abilities, and he's got lots of them, don't get me wrong, but one of his really, really special skill sets is being able to take really complicated financial information and details, which I think most entrepreneurs get paralyzed with or they can't find the right information, get very frustrated, and he breaks it down into super simple terms that relate to operations into the business. What we're going to be talking about today is how to master your business finances so you can have clear look through the front windshield and be able to make decisions like you've never made them before in order to grow the value of your company and de-risk it so you can increase your multiple. And I think the financial is the bane of most entrepreneurs' existence because it's very difficult to get clear information. It's very difficult as a visionary or a, uh, ADHD entrepreneur to get the information you need out of the people that are in your organization, your advisors and or your systems. Yet you know from your gut what needs to be done, what questions you need to be asked and things that need to be put in line as far as like how to grow, where to deploy your capital. But if you're not doing things in your strategic plan or running EOS and not measuring and monitoring clean financials that are timely, useful, and accurate, then it's all a moot point because what you should have is you should have the ability to boil all your financials down to a normalized EBITDA and evaluation on a timely basis because that is the only thing that matters. And your financials should reflect how well you're doing in your strategic plan. So what Pat is going to talk about today in his very clear, concise business owner speaky is how to take your income statements, tie them to your balance sheets, and then understand how your budgets and your cash flow statements should all tie together and reflect your strategic plan and how to find the information, KPIs, and data you need to make decisions to know how well you're doing. So what I just said might sound like a bunch of uh, garbledy gook to anybody that doesn't like finances, but if you own a company and you're an entrepreneur and you're competitive, the things that you'll be able to answer because you have this information is you'll be able to say, okay, in 2020, here's my balance sheet. At the end of 2020, what's it going to look like? Okay, over the next 12 months, how am I going to use my cash? What are we going to spend the money on? And what are we going to budget for so that way we can literally deploy the cash, grow the way that we want to. I don't have to have any drama. I know when and how I'm going to tap my line of credit. I know when and how I'm going to hire those people. I know when and how I'm going to take on that new product line because I have the view into all the profitability and all the financials that show the beginning of this year's balance sheet and how that's going to turn out to the end of next year's balance sheet, how I'm going to tie everything together. It's literally just views inside the future. 
if you have clarity on this, your company is more sustainable, predictable, and transferable in your cash flow. You could transfer it to your employees, to a manager, to a third party. You could withhold and withstand the due diligence that a private equity firm would, would throw at you. Or you could keep your company and experience less drama, more freedom and choices because you have a scorecard and a data dashboard that shows you the pulse of your business at any given point in time. I highly recommend this episode. Do not be over anxious about diving in too many financy and financier terms because Pat does a great job at demystifying them. So please listen in. And if you want to know more about this stuff and how to grow the value of your business based on our two case studies and the five growth and exit principles, check out one of our two-day boot camps. We already have a bunch of people registered for the February one. I'm really excited. So check it out. We got some coming up in Ohio, Minnesota, and Arizona, and it'll absolutely change your perspective and your, and your life on the world of mergers and acquisitions and value growth. So without further ado, here is Pat Hobby. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Two days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Two days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of your journey as an entrepreneur. All right, everybody. We are back at the uh, Life After Business podcast and I have Pat here, which is my business partner. And so he is now going to be a public figure and we've got him in front of videos over the last year and on now on the podcast. So we went from spreadsheets to the media. So what we're going to do on today's episode is we're going to be talking about the financials, which is one of the value drivers and the functional areas that we talk about in principle number four. And we're going to tie together how that integrates with your strategic plan and then your value and the valuation that you want to hit and value growth. And, uh, and But before we do any of that stuff, so the people that um, are tuning in that have not heard Pat's background, um, I think the story is um, a really cool one because it, you know, all the things that Pat has gone through complements things that I have done and just what I, you know, I'll give Pat some serious credit here is that he just demystifies the stuff where it doesn't have to be as complicated as most people make it. So Pat, why don't you just give people like, how in the heck did you get into numbers and finance and then the, 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 the milestones to get you to where you were sitting next to me and, and, uh, I forced you to quit your job. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an accountant by education and trade and have spent my career um, doing that. I worked in public accounting for a few years, worked in industry for quite a few years. And then uh, in, in the late 90s, which kind of dates me a little bit, um, I started uh, CFO services or what some people call a fractional CFO services, where I became the CFO or controller for small and medium-sized companies um, in the Dayton area. I live in Dayton, Ohio on a part-time but long-term basis. So it wasn't a business where I just came in and produced financial statements once a month, dropped them on the desk and left. I became part of the management team for my clients. So I would, I would have an office, I would do my work there. You know, I, I served as a CFO for these companies um, and, and literally became part of the team. It was a, gr- a great business, I loved it. I had one client, which actually was my first client, that kept growing and growing. Uh, we did some acquisitions and kept growing more. Uh, made a, a substantial acquisition in about 2004, I think it was. That was just uh, knock on wood. It was one of those acquisitions that was kind of made in heaven. Everything just came together uh, uh, in a great way, and, and the business just took off after after we did that. But because we kept growing, that that company required more and more of my time. So I, I'd go from a day a week when I started to two days to three days. And probably in about 2010, I was substantially full-time as a CFO of that business. And it was, uh, it was a great business. It was a service business, a family business. And um, one day, the owner told me he wanted out. And... I guess I can say this. The owner's actually been on 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 your podcast, Ryan, and uh, mm-hmm. my name came Sorry. up a couple of times. I don't I don't think that's a problem that I say that, but but he wanted out, and so we devised a way to to go about selling the business. Almost sold it to a multi uh, multi billion dollar national company, um, but that fell apart right at the end. And then we turned around, and in six months from that, we sold it to an ESOP, became employee owned, which was. Just a great experience um, for him, for the company, for the employees. 
it was, it was, it's just awesome. And for those that don't know about ESOPs, it's, it's, uh, it's a great alternative that not many people know about or understand. And we can get into that a little bit at some point if you want to, but it's just, uh, the employees became the beneficial owners of the company. So he sold it, he got his money, the employees became the owners. And so the, the value growth that came from that point on went to the benefit of, of the employees as owners. A couple of years later, we were approached by a PE firm to sell. We said no about a hundred times. <laughs> um, and then finally, they, they want us to give them a number. We gave them a number and they finally paid it. So um, it, it was just, it was, it's a little unusual for ESOPs to sell so early in their life. We were only two and a half years into it, but the employees benefited greatly. We had tens of millions of dollars that, that went to the employees, you know, spread among about 180 employees. So that was just a great experience and, and turned out to be a great financial deal for everybody. Um, involved. I worked for that PE firm for a few months just to transition my responsibilities and then went to work for a private equity firm here in Dayton, Ohio. Um, they were kind of early stage. They were in the process of buying companies. So I was I was the director of shared services, which meant I was responsible for the accounting, HR, and IT work for all the portfolio companies that they owned because we were operating in a lower part of the market. So, you know, these weren't companies that had huge staffs and expertise in all those areas. I really enjoyed that work and the people were great. And one of the things that, how I, how I came to meet you, Ryan, was one of the things that private equity firms do is they look to harvest the value that the sellers kind of left on the table. It's no, it's no great secret. You know, private equity firms look for companies that have some unrealized value they buy them, they invest in them, both in people, equipment, professionalism, those kind of things. So one of the things we were looking for at the private equity firm was how do we figure out where to focus our attention mm -hmm. on these companies? We went through the diligence process, so we knew a lot about the companies, but we wanted to, to find out where should we be spending our time? Because you can only really do two or three things really well at a time when you're running a business. So we came across a tool um, called a value opportunity profile developed by Ken Sanjanario. He's been on your podcast. I think he's on uh, just so a couple one of this. Yep. Yep. A couple episodes ago. A couple weeks ago. We found that tool and we thought that was really interesting as a way to identify which parts of the business we should work on first um, in order to drive value. He was having a seminar on this in Boston about, it was a year ago last month. You happen to be sitting at the table next to me. <laughs> you were stuck. <laughs> Talked my ear off the whole time. But uh, learned a lot of that seminar. Got talking to you about what you, the mission you were on to, with, your, with your endeavor to, to help business owners drive value in their business and realize, realize all that benefit for them as opposed to whoever they sell it to. Um, it really resonated with me. And uh, so I decided to leave that. Here we are. One year into it and you are you are now on a podcast, been doing a bunch of videos, you've been speaking. <laughs> Who would have thought a CEO yeah, and financier would be doing that? So yeah. what we're going to be covering today, because what Pat set the, the groundwork pretty well of, you know, the, the, the eight functional areas all need to be level to grow the value of the company and de-risk it. We're talking about sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow, which increases the multiple, decreases the risk to get the owners, the valuation, and then eventually the options and freedom to do whatever they want. And so we talked about um, the, 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 the system with Ken a couple episodes ago. And then last episode with Greg, we talked about strategic planning of really identifying what direction you're going, either your product, pl uh, product placement fit, your, your, your market, your customers, all the different things that it takes to really build a plan of where you're going. And Pat, I want you to comment on the strategic plan too, because I always had visceral reactions about that. And it took me a long time to realize that the, uh, the system here in town in the, uh, the Twin Cities, EOS and traction are, it's not a strategic plan. They're goals. No. You know, your VTO are goals, but we need to actually understand what the inputs of EOS are. So we talked last episode with Greg Meredith about what are going to, how do you determine your strategic plan of what choices you're going to be making to get the inputs into your system. But the one thing that I was, uh, you know, when Pat and I started talking is 
financials, make, people make it seem complicated, honestly. Like over, we went through three CFOs before we turned around our business and sold it. Tons of entrepreneurs. I just got done with two uh, meetings today. One was at lunch and we were talking about this of entrepreneurs know what they want, but then they have a lot of roadblocks between the people that are, you know, managing the numbers and they can't get the information. So not only is it a problem for the current owner to be able to make sure that they're getting the right data to make sure that the decisions they made in the strategic plan and the EO and the operating system are, are working because it's all about EBITDA, which Pat is going to get into. But then how do we make the financials so clean and so clear that it, it adds value because it's transferable? no matter who it is, because you're looking through the, the, through the front windshield. So before we get into what Pat is going to describe is what good financials look like, how to actually, as an, as an owner, this is what you should expect. I mean, that's what you want at the end of this podcast is you're going to listen to and go, okay, if you're not getting this right now, there are ways to get it and you should find the ways to get this information. And then hopefully it mirrors your strategic plan. But before we get into kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts of what good looks like, Pat, maybe can you can you just give an explanation in your thoughts of a CFO and the roles and responsibilities? Because I think when I sit around a CEO peer group at our table, lots of people say they have a CFO, but I think that they're totally mistaken and they've got a bookkeeper. So kind of just maybe just debunk that right off the bat. Say, okay, this is this is what a CFO actually does in the experience that you should be getting if you have one. Yeah, a CFO, a good CFO should be a business owner's strategic partner. And I don't mean partner in the sense of ownership. I mean, they've got to be attached at the hip when it comes to finding what the strategy is, what the goals are. And in most companies, um, the CFO and the e, in the EOS world will be the integrator, but they will be somebody who sees the entire picture, you know, um, of, of everything from sales to operations to marketing to to the finances. And that, that person has got to be somebody, it's more than just producing financial statements at the end of the month. It's got to be somebody who understands the goals of the company, the strategies that have been determined to pursue. And, and we should probably talk about that a little bit at some point and can help set up a system to monitor, are we making progress towards those strategies? Because if you get to the, if you implement the strategies and they turn out to be the right strategies, then you're going to, you're going to, have a business where you're increasing the predictability, sustainability, and transferability of the cash flow, which is what determines value in, in, right. almost, in, yep. in almost any company. So the C, a lot of times people will have a CFO and, you know, like I say, they will produce financial statements in the month like they've produced them for the last 20 years. And in today's world, that's just not good enough anymore. Mm -hmm. You've got to have somebody who understands a big picture and can really help drive value. That, that should be their main goal. Well, and what we're going to talk about too, on tying the, what Pat calls the three statements together and how these KPIs and data points that are going to be visible. I mean, it's literally like seeing through the fog once you have this, because it not only is it, you can make decisions that you never thought you could make before, but it also should reflect that strategic plan like Pat was talking about. And just, you know, one multiple stories that Pat and I have over and over and over again with, with, with clients or with owners is that, you know, they're working with consultants that don't see their books and it's like, Oh, just hire this person or just do this. But it's all based in the numbers, right? If we're looking at value creation, you need to boil it down to EBITDA and then a multiple and that's your value. So if you're not measuring and monitoring all this stuff in the financials, it's total guesswork and it's just going to be luck if you survive. But even if you do survive and grow, you're leaving so much money on the table and optimization. And I don't know, Pat, if you got any comments on like, you know, what we see from like just almost recklessness of, you know, advice that goes around or like, you know, decisions that are being made without having it in the numbers? Well, you know, the financials of a company are the language of the business. I mean, you know, every, no matter what your industry is, whether you're a service industry or manufacturing or distribution, your financials tell the story um, of your business in, in, in a certain aspect, not the only aspect, but, a, but in a critical one. So having so many, so many companies I've worked with over the years, they didn't have good financial statements that were Timely, useful, and accurate. Those are the three criteria that you have to have for good financial statements. And even though they are historical, if you're doing them in a timely basis, you're getting information really quick at the end of each month and each quarter that, that kind of help you assess, are we on the right track to achieve the goals that we've set? 
for ourselves or, or are, we, are we not on the right track? And it gives you the chance to course adjust when you need to, and everybody needs to at some point in time. No, no plan is perfect, no strategic, no budget's perfect. But just so many times in, in my career, I've seen where people, where I've started working with clients and it's August, I'm like, okay, show me your latest financials and they pull out February, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay. Uh, I'm guilty. Like we're, we're, having, we're having trouble. And so it, I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised because you, you don't know what's going on. And so you don't know how to make good decisions. You, you can't decide what to spend today based on how much money is in your bank account. That's not a, that's not a good financial plan. So you've got you've to have more information. And you know, a lot of business owners either are sales and marketing type people or if they're come up through operations. The financial aspect of this has some mystique about it that I think is is overdone. Sometimes it's not that it's not as complicated as people make you, it. You said the best phrase in one of our client meetings the other day, where it's it's not that complicated, but it is hard work, right? Yeah. Like because it is hard work, and you have to have the right people doing it. But it's not that complicated. What I find super interesting, Pat, is that like so many entrepreneurs know that at their gut, but they get all this bullshit thrown back at them from people in their staff or whoever it might be, or their CPA or their bookkeeper it, complaining that it's hard, right? Cause they can't find the data. And I think going back to when you say your, your, your financials are timely, useful and accurate, and we're going to talk about what it, what is inside of the financials, right? So this is not just your PL that pops out with no questions about it, right? Because I think uh, back before we implemented our ERP system, we had timely financials, but they didn't mean anything. <laughs> we couldn't make a decision on profitability or different lines of the equipment or locations or any of this stuff or trending or like it was not anything other than a bunch of numbers on a piece of paper. Yeah, you've got to do something with the information, you know, just to have it, just to have an income statement or balance sheet or statement of cash flow. Hopefully you're doing that. But if you don't, just to have that information on, on a piece of paper, but not measuring it, not tracking it, not looking at trends, not understanding what it really means, doesn't help you make decisions. And that's what it's for. That's, that's the whole purpose of having good financial reporting is that you can get the necessary information to analyze how your business is doing and make good decisions going forward, all with an eye towards implementing the strategies that you've chosen to drive value for your business. That, that's like in that situation, before we get into kind of the, the different statements and some of the actual, you know, the, the guts of like what, what you think good looks like is like when you sit down at like a meeting, monthly meeting, quarterly meeting, you know, planning meeting or whatever it might be with an owner, that is got like, let's say they've gone through all the, like call it the, the triage to get to what good looks like. Maybe walk through, what are some of the conversations? So when you say you're having these discussions, like what are the, the different discussions or the you know decision, you know, maybe it's whether it's line of credit or pro, you know, product line based or, you know, just discuss the conversation. So if I'm sitting there and you're my CFO or someone's got a CFO, what are those, what's the dialogue like? And what are those things that they're talking about? Well, once you get to the point where you've got good and accurate and timely financial statements and you've developed the metrics that are applicable to your business, they're different for a service business than they are for a manufacturing business than they are for a distribution business. But once you decide on those metrics, then you can manage by exception. You don't have to go through every number every month. You can say, hey, look, our inventory turns have slowed way down, which, which means you're, you've got way more inventory then you need based on the historical information for the sales you have. Is it because sales are down or, or is our, is our, uh, our, our purchases of inventory out of track? We've had clients who are like, oh, our inventory's just gotten way out of hand and we've tapped out our line of credit. So, you know, once you, once you develop the metrics and the, and the financial measures that you want to track, then you can, avoid, you can spot these things long before they become a problem. You can see a trend that says, hey, our inventory is building compared to our sales. What's going on here? Let's make some adjustments so we don't overcommit to purchases or maybe it's a sales problem. Let's talk to the salespeople and figure out what's going on. You know, because it has ripple implications down the road from you may tap out your line of credit and then you, know, you may max, max out on it and then you're having problems paying your bills because you've got too much inventory. And mm -hmm. so those are, the, those are the conversations that you can have with an owner. But again, it's not once a month sitting down with them. You're watching these things and you set up a dashboard and you can 
you can just see these things happening all the time. And mm-hmm. like I say, spot problems, potential problems that are coming long before, you know, you have to get on the phone with your banker and say, Hey, we've got a problem. Can you, can you, well, can and you I think that's, that, that is right there. You know, one of the big challenges was, I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs were like, they know, like, knowing, and we're going to talk about the three statements of like, literally you can see eight months down the road. If you have this stuff correctly, like, Oh, I'm going to tap up my line of credit in eight months because of this is how this stuff is going to work. And this is, you know, this is literally the projections of how this all works versus not knowing and it happening at the last second. I mean, which I see way too often where like that happens and then it's a firefight, but then because the, the data is not correct, you don't even know where to start. Right. I mean, you don't want to get the point where it's 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 Friday and you're supposed to pay bills today, and you got no money in the bank, and you don't know why. And now, what do you do? You know that that happens to people, and you know, getting out ahead of that is is the key from a financial reporting point of view. You just you know, one to track your progress against your against your your budget and your projections and your strategies, but then secondly, just to manage the finances of the business mm-hmm. so that, like you say, like it's not a fire drill all the time. Right. You, you can plan and, and implement what you need to get done. So a couple of the big things that I want to make sure that we get, a, we, uh, we touch base on is, uh, so the KPIs, so we've got this financial assessment that Pat's created as you go in and get to a point to tell, like figure out what does, how do you get to that good, what good looks like. So we have KPIs and ratios and stuff like that, Pat, I don't know if we want to end kind of with that. And then we want to talk about also the three statements, how this all ties together, but also I want to talk about the, the budget, right? Cause I think, you know, it seems very daunting, but like when you and I do the boot camp, it's like, Hey, you know, if you just, you know, you build the budget from the ground up, I mean, how do you want to tackle? Yeah. Let's talk about the financial statements first. Okay. Because I think that, I think the others will flow from that. So when you're, you know, a lot of people look at their income statement that they get and, and they kind of stop there. That that's not nearly enough when, you know, your income statement measures the activity for a period probably a month, your, your revenue and your expenses. There are some businesses where looking at them on a cash basis is okay. But for most businesses, you need to look at them on what's called an accrual basis, which means you recognize revenue when you earn it, not when you get paid. And you recognize expenses when you become liable to pay them. You buy inventory or you, you, know, you incur some service that you owe for it, not when you pay it. Because just imagine if you had a business where a bunch of people made deposits on purchases and you recorded those as sales and they made those deposits in January, but you didn't deliver the product or service till June. Yeah. Well, and, and on that story, just like very, very specific story for the, um, for the listeners is we at our old business, we would sign annual quarterly contracts for the copiers and the maintenance. So then we had school districts where they would pay for a whole year's worth of copier maintenance at, at the beginning of the year. But we have all of our labor, all the inventory, all the cars, all that stuff that was being used for the rest of the year. I mean, honest to God, we had that problem, well, 15 years ago when our, we had a, not a CFO, we had some random uh, controller that was kind of doing that stuff where we would like go, why are we losing money? But how, however, we weren't because we got the money, you know, 10, 10 weeks or 10 months ago. Yeah. That, the month where you get all the money looks great and all the others. <laughs> yeah. Wow. January is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the rest of the year is terrible. You got to match up. You got to match up the expenses with the revenue that are, that are necessary to generate that revenue. So that, that's the first thing is just putting, it's not overly complicated, but it, it does take some, some word. But once you get into the cadence and you set up the systems and, and you get the processes down, it just, it happens like clockwork, just like, you know, paying payroll. So that's the first thing on, you know, the income statement's got to be clean. It's got to, it's got to be on an accrual basis so that you know how your, that's the only way really to know how your business is doing. There are some exceptions. We won't go into that on a cash basis where, you know, the, where cash basis will approximate you know, accrual, but that doesn't happen very often. So no need to even confuse. And then the accrual, just on that note too, before you go into the second part is like, you know, private equity firms, professional business buyers, they're looking at accrual, right? Cause they want to see how the cash is being used and how the expenses are being that. That's really the only way you can see inside of the business. That's exactly right. Yeah. And the accrual basis, you know, just, it just, it just won't work any other way. For example, talking about this, <laughs> just that simple. It's math, right? It's simple. I don't know what else to say. It just, it, it just doesn't work. I know I, I get, math, but once we talk about it, but the next one is the balance sheet, which is your assets and your liability. 
So just think about on a accrual basis. If you didn't, if you were on a cash basis, you would not show any accounts receivable on your balance sheet. You would just record revenue when the cash came in. So I think a lot of people can identify with that. If you sell something today and not going to get paid for a month, you want to record the sale today and the accounts receivable. But if you if you're on a cash basis and you just wait, you're going to record the the sale quote unquote, next month when you get the cash. Well, you did the work this month. So that's just an example. You wouldn't, mm-hmm. your balance sheet would just have cash and debt on it, basically, mm-hmm. in, in, in inventory. So that, that's not a good way to do it. But your balance sheet shows your assets and your liabilities. Um, the big assets are always inventory and receivables for most businesses. Liabilities are going to be, you know, accrued payroll. If you've got a big service business, you know, we have a lot of people you know, your line of credit, your debt, if you have some term debt, that's, that's all going to be on there. So that just shows that's a, that's a point in time where an income statement is over a period. It could be a month, a quarter, a year. The balance sheet is a snapshot of, of the assets and liabilities and the, and the owner's equity at a, at a point in time. So that's really important. And they're tied together. And um, back in the 1400, some, some priest came up with double entry accounting, which you know, um, it's, it's, it's old where you got to have two sides. So it, it all balances out. So, you know, the, the two statements are tied together. You record a sale, you got the revenue on the income statement, you got the accounts receivable on the balance sheet. But once you, once you time out, it, it, it all flows together. Let me re- restate that again to tie it out. Cause I think, I mean, ever since really getting to know you, I mean, it was like, I think conceptually, I do believe that a lot of owners conceptually get a lot of this stuff, but they get hung up with a lot of the vernacular because it just makes sense to these people, to, to the owners because they have to make these decisions. But so t- explain the tie out again. I think it just, that it needs to hit. Now, if, if, if you have what I always do with, with companies that I've worked for and clients that we have, if you have a balance sheet, and you go through the effort to reconcile all the accounts at the end of the month. So we know cash is right. We know inventory is right. We know accounts receivables right. We know accrued payrolls right. We know the debt amounts right. Right, if right. You, accurate, right. Accurate, accurate. <laughs> when you know that they are accurate and it takes a little bit of effort, but again, you get into a process, a routine. You know, I didn't reconcile all those accounts. We, you know, you have people. A lot of people can, you can teach people how to do those things to make mm-hmm. sure that it's right. If your balance sheets are always accurate at the end of the month, then you know that the income statement's going to be accurate because the, the way accounting works and you have two sides to every entry, you, you may have an expense recorded on the wrong line on your income statement. I mean, it may be, it may be, uh, coded meals and coded incorrect. Yeah. it should be hotel. So you could make a mistake in that way, but your net income is going to be right. Mm-hmm. Your bottom line is is going to be accurate as long as you go through the effort to reconcile the the major accounts on your balance sheet each and every month. The the the, the company that I worked for that we sold to an ESOP, we had three different companies, so we had three closings every month for mm-hmm. three you know a closing for every company. But we went through every time to make sure that you know that was all right. And when we sold it to the ESOP, and then when we sold it to a private equity company, of course they send in big CPA firms and, and, you know, they do their financial diligence and they crawl through all your information. But because we had taken that approach to that over the years, when they asked questions, we had the answers right away. It was, it was, it was, except for the time that it took, it was really painless because our books were clean and, and we knew what was in there. So the, they, they will tie out when you, when you, uh, when you do that right. And, and that, and that does bring up another point on being clean. A lot of business owners will run extraneous expenses through their, through their financial records at their company. I, I would advise against that. One, you can only take tax deductions for things that are business related. So I'm, you know, that's one cautionary note. Upon an audit from the IRS, you're, you know, you got to make sure that, you know, your, uh, your, no. home, yeah, your home lawn care is not in there because that's not really, you shouldn't be taking a tax deduction for that. But secondly, when you go to look at how to value a business, having clean financials really helps. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something that if you were to potentially sell one day and you want to give your financials to somebody and you say, well, here are, fin- here are my financials, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that's not related to the business itself. So here, let me give you a list of those things. Well, you've just created some question in the potential buyer's mind about the accuracy of the financial statements, and you're going to get a lower value. It's just going to be hard for them to wrap their heads around 
you know, knowing that these yeah, the value that these things are clean when you've got to tell them, oh, you know, my wife's cousin's, you know, sister is on the payroll, but she doesn't really do anything. You don't want to do that. That's that's not a that's not a best practice, and it's not just it's just not good business practice. Mm-hmm. So then when we, and by the way, there are, you know, as it, even if you're doing the stuff that is, you know, we can, we can tie back at the end of this normalized EBITDA because you can be doing stuff that's within the legal boundaries and that might not be necessary for a future buyer. But as long as you're categorizing those into owners perks or something like that, and yep. just so that way you can quickly identify it yep. and that that's part of your clean financial reporting it's fine. As long as like what you're saying, like, you know, at the last second trying to, you know, pull stuff out of a junk drawer. Right. I mean, there's some, right. so, you know, was there a third? Or go on, yeah, go on. So before we, before we get to go down um, another topic that the third statement and one that often gets ignored is a statement of cash flows and that statement, we won't get into the technical aspects of it, but it shows how effectively a company is using its cash. So the first part of it will show you, the cash generated or consumed by your operating activities. Hopefully it's generating cash, you know? So, um, and, and that'll tell you, you know, if all of a sudden you, you stop collecting your receivables very effectively or your inventory builds way up past the level it should be to support your sales, you're going to see on that statement where those activities are consuming cash. And so, and you really want to keep an eye on that. There are two other parts of it. One is, one is, uh, investing if you're buying equipment and things like that it'll it'll break that out and the other part is financing so if you're borrowing money or paying down money on a line of credit or borrowing money on your line of credit it'll it'll that's the third section that's a statement that a lot of owners don't look at but it's really important to do that because cash is important a lot of people say oh, <laughs> yes, cash is <laughs> um, you know he who has the cash makes the rules um, so it's really important to see that because if you're if you're tracking that and you're saying Hey, we're not generating, you know, we used to generate 20% operating cash based on our sales and now it's down to 10%. What's changed? And that'll just lead you in. Into that again. I want you to say that again, because it's so, so if, important. If you're tracking, you know, the, the cash is being generated based on your sales and it's running 20% generally, you know, and you can easily look at that once you, once you start measuring this and all of a sudden you're looking at a trend and it's gone from 20 down to 10%. There's something wrong. Your your profitability has changed. Your management of your accounts receivable has changed. Or your management of your inventory has changed. Or some combination of that. But if you don't recognize that, you don't know to investigate what's going on. And then all of a sudden, you're going to say, hey, we don't have any money to pay our bills. (laughs) now, Now, what do we do? And then you want to try and borrow more money and, you know, which may be the answer. But, um, it's just important to keep an eye on that so that you don't, when that's what I think a lot of, like you said, it, it, like it, it gets missed the most, which I would argue is potentially one of the most important things to actually see into the future of like what the heck is going on, especially as we tie into the KPIs, because like, you know, you know some of the stuff that I've, as, as we've worked with uh, clients of like understanding the trends of like, you know, I mean, I literally at lunch today, the gentleman was like, growth, growth. I mean, you and I have uh, some clients that we know that want to go from, let's just make it the numbers up from 30 to, to 50 million. Right, and what it? What would your first reaction and first statement say? Oh, rapid growth is hugely expensive, <laughs> right? And risky. I mean, right, because you're investing in like it's consuming cash. To your point, right? So to know like is my line of credit the biggest? Is as big as it needs to be? Have you had conversations with the bank? You know when and how are you get like all of this stuff is so freaking important. And when you say you tie them all together, like you should be able to say okay. Here's where, you know, it's January 2020 right now. Here's our current balance sheet. Here's what we're trying to do. What's going to, what's, what's it going to be like at the end of 2020? How are we going to use our cash? And what's the end result of the balance sheet going to be? I mean, that, if you were to say that to almost any owner, I guarantee they're going to go, well, no kidding. I want that. (laughs) But it's just, I mean, cause like you said, it's, it's common sense, but I think it sounds daunting where like, if you were to ask, I, I don't even, I'd be interested to hear the poll of like an owner, you say, okay based on your projections, how do you think you're going to utilize your line of credit in August of this year? They would have absolutely no clue of what to say. No, that most, the vast majority of businesses don't have that ability, but getting there is not that hard. This is, there's, there's nothing novel here. We didn't, this isn't the, this kind of 
like I said, accounting was invented in the 1400s. So there's, there's not much new here, um, especially on the, on the basic level. Yeah, you can have some crazy accounting system if you're a publicly traded company and you know, all, these kind of, all these kind of rules. But for the vast, vast majority of business owners, you get a system in place, you get a, a software program in place, you get procedures in place, you reconcile your accounts, you look at the three statements, and you're going to, at the end of every month, you're going to have a really good picture of how your business has done and, and if, you're on the, if you're on the right track to achieve your goals. It, it's not that hard. So, and, and I think that's the encouragement I want everybody that's listening to really, really take home because baby steps will get you there. And some of the things that I want to talk about, Pat, is that, you know, there's contribution margins, trailing 12 months, and then the budget. So maybe because the reason the next episode is going to be about sales and, you know, the sales and forecasting. But I think let's talk about like, let's assume the listener is like, okay, I, I got my strategic plan. I'm now maybe running an operating system like EOS, but I'm, I'm, I've got things going on and I've been working on getting clean balance sheets and income statements and the cash flow statements. But like, how are, what, what, how do I find my goals, right? Like what's the, what's the process of building a budget to, to know that this is what we're actually measuring against? Because I think, you know, you could do what, everything we've just talked about, but how do you know whether you're doing well or not? And then, yeah. and then what decisions can you make once you have all that reconciled with your goals? Yeah. And so that, that brings up the topic of budgets and Budgets are really important to do. Uh, not many people like doing them. <laughs> what? I can't spend that. Yeah. But once you have a strategic plan and you know what your strategy is going to implement, you've got to roll those actions, whether it's hiring people, buying equipment, building inventory, expanding your geographic market, uh, expanding your product offering or your service offering. You've got to build those into a budget so that you can see what it costs you. And, and a budget is, is what's gonna, what you think is going to happen the next year. So if you do it you know, towards the end of one year for the next year, you got to build it from the ground up. How many people are we going to have? Um, how many you know, locations are we going to have? What kind of equipment do we need to buy? I mean, you've got you've to get down to that level. You don't have to worry about Paper clips or office supplies. Yeah, we, we're going to spend 5% more next year. That's easy. But in order to implement the strategy, we decided. So let's say somebody says, we want to open a, an office in a, in a neighboring city, you know, because we want to we expand it to that geographic market. You've got it from the ground up, rent, utilities, people, all those things that go into that cost. You just don't want to go into it blindly. Um, and then what kind of revenue are we going to get from that? How long is it going to take us? to break even on that business and, and all those kinds of things. So a budget is, is from the ground up. I always do it on an annual basis first so that we say, just what is 2020 going to look like? And then once everybody kind of understands and agrees on that, then you need to spread it to all the months. You need, you need, to, you need to look and see how your revenue is going to come in. You know how your payroll is going to come in. Um, you can make some assumptions on, on some of the others. As and far not just as divide by 12, right? <laughs> Don't just divide by 12. Don't just say if we have a we have a $12 million revenue budget, we're going to have a million dollars a month. Life, life's That's crazy. It's clean. It's timely mm-hmm. and accurate. <laughs> no, life's, life's generally not like that. Um, so, you know, you've got to spread it to the months. And then, then you have the basis to compare each month your actual results versus your budgeted results. And then, you know, when you see variances, you start thinking, okay, they could be positive variances. We're doing better. We're more efficient than we thought we we're going to be. Our gross margins are higher. Or, you know, we've got more scrap going on or we, you know, our, our payroll is out of whack. Well, yeah, you just hired three more people than you budgeted for. So, you know, well, in that process, margins that- are going to be less, but you need, it'll, it'll affect your ability to understand, are we going to, are we on track to achieve our goal? Right. And so like, let's say someone has a half big budget or not one at all. And, I, and I'll tell my story from Imaging Path that you and I share in the bootcamp um, is like, what, how the heck do you start? Right. And like, I want to make sure that this is not that complicated. Right. And again, coming from, I like, I ran a business that was all salespeople, raging ADHD, not a lot of people like yourself, the finance people holding people accountable until the end. But uh, you know, the, 
So do you want to do the, explain the trailing 12 months before I tell my story or should I tell the story first? Why don't you go ahead and tell your story? No, no, be more meaning. We, we did, we had three different major profit centers. Um, so, you know, we had finance, which is the accounting and that the SGNA sales general and administrative, which is all the, the costs, the, the cost structure. But then we had copier equipment sales. So equipment sales was any kind of IT hardware, copiers, et cetera. We had service associated with uh, the, the, the equipment and I wrote the copier service. And then we had managed IT. So we had three different revenue divisions that also had costs associated with delivering those services. So I sat down and this is, you know, shit, this is eight years ago when I was just like, we just needed to figure out what the heck were we going to spend last year. And the problems that we dealt with before were every salesperson has a golf tournament for one of their clients. Every salesperson wanted to take someone to a sporting event, you know, then in service, every single, you know, technician randomly needed to be sent across the country to go to training. And then in, in IT, you know, there was all the Microsoft certifications. And like, so what happened was I was playing whack-a-mole for like years trying to like, reduce costs, but then we had no plan on this stuff. So what we sat down is we started with the sales in each of these of understanding, can we hit our forecast? So each month throughout the next, you know, the next year, what sales can we hit? And then we sat down and we said, okay, we're going to back into the margins. And each of my three executives were like, okay, well, we have to hit X amount of margin, X percentage. And then we throw all the costs where they were like, I want to do this and this and this and that and this. And, you know, here's the normal cost of goods, but then the additional stuff. And then we're like, well, that's too much. We're not making our profits. And then that executive would then refine until they and I, they were owning the budget that they built themselves. Well, and you just made a key point there. Involving the people who are responsible for delivering. <laughs> just give it to them. <laughs> the work. When you, yeah, a lot, look, a lot of people, you know, the, owner, CEO, president will do a budget in isolation and just send it out and <laughs> don't get good buy-in on that. You and then know, they just dealing with arguments for the next 12 months. Like, oh, why would you even do yeah, that? Like, okay, really, you want to put in five golf tournaments in the same month because you have five <laughs> people who want to do that. That, you know, pick one, you know. But when you when you get them to to be involved in the process, then you get buy-in in that. And then and then what it does throughout the year is it it takes a lot of takes a lot of angst off your plate when mm -hmm. the decision has to be made. We want to have we want to go to a golf tournament. Is it in the budget? Yeah, that's the one that was in the budget. Okay, do it. Go yeah. ahead, do it. You know, let's focus on things that you know don't spend. You know, get ten people together in a conference room and spend two hours <laughs> talking about a golf uh, tournament. Uh, yuck! I've been there. Well, and I think yeah, we, you know, yeah. to. to as, as and then you get into your your tw trailing twelve months is like and how you start, but then like each of these budgets then had a revenue and then they had profit and then there's obviously the the back end accounting department and all that stuff, but it all boils oh, down the SGNA yeah. yeah. it all boiled down to net operating income and then EBITDA right so the each of these divisions didn't have to see the whole picture I mean they were right. like and we had comp plans tied to the different divisions and the overall company success along with their departments, but I think it's just in there, the, each of the executives are then working with what they can control to get the company what you can control, which is EBITDA, which is the value growth that you want. But like maybe, you know, outside of someone never doing this before, how do you start and then explain maybe your trailing 12 months and like what yeah. that shows versus just an annual cal calendar? Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're just, if you're not doing this and you want to start, start with the big items. Obviously, revenue is the biggest. And and work with your whoever's in charge, whatever sales staff you have. What revenue are we going to have? What what new revenue we think we're going to acquire? What revenue are we going to lose? A lot of company, you know, most companies end up losing some revenue periodically. So it's good to it's good to plan for that. And then pick your when you're first starting, just pick two or three of the major categories. It could be people, it could be your cost of goods sold. You know, work on those for the first year. Get those down. Um, um, to where you've got it refined pretty well, and you and you've got a good handle on those. For the other categories, for SGNA travel, those kind of things, say, hey, look, we spent X last year. We're going to add five percent to it this year. Let's take the major ones this year. Then next year we can refine. You know, take them in order. Again, you'll never, you should never ever sit down and from a worry about office supplies. Hopefully, you know, unless people are just going crazy with it. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, you work on the biggest ones first so that you just know, you know, that you're tackling those and, and it, it'll, it'll refine itself over the years and it'll help build confidence in, in doing it. 
So then explain the trailing 12 months versus the calendar, because we've seen it where someone took last year divided by 12 to start versus, and then spread it all between the 12 months versus looking from May to May and how just completely, I mean, this is just so common sense, but in, in, I don't know how, how many people actually do it. Yeah. I mean, this kind of gets into, into KPIs and trends when you, but when you're looking at your financial statements, you know, if you're in May, a lot of people are, are early part of the year. You're like, well, how are we doing? Well, we, we can tell what we're doing against our budget, but that's not the most useful early on in the year. By the time you get to December and you're finished, you know how the year went. One thing that I think is extremely useful is for companies to look at their income statements on a trailing 12-month basis. So at the end of May 2020, you would look at June 2019 through May 2020. So you got a full 12 months. You've taken out the, the cyclicality of your business, if it has cycles to it. And, and you're saying, how does that period compare to that same period the year before? So you're saying, okay, or, or even to the prior year in. It's just the trends are really important. Months and quarters and years are arbitrary. You know, we have a calendar. And so we say, we're going to close our books once a month. Uh, you, know, once, you, you know, we pay taxes on an annual basis. So we prepare financial statements, you know, on an annual basis. If we paid our taxes on eight, every 18 months, we'd probably have 18 month financial <laughs> statements. Right. They're somewhat arbitrary. And a lot, if you don't focus, some people get so focused on a month or even a quarter. Um, if you ever work for a private equity firm, they're really, they're really focused on <laughs> public the, companies, right? <laughs> or public companies, my goodness. Um, you know, they, they get obsessed with it and they, start to do things to make this quarter or this month look good. And it can, it, it, can, it can kind of bite them in the butt later on if they're not making good decisions. But as a business owner, if you're looking at a trailing 12-month income statement, you can see a trend because it's, 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 you know, the May of the trailing 12-month for May of 20, and then you have June tw- trailing 12-month. Um, we have a client that we're starting to do some work with, and I took their financials and did trailing 12-month income statements and sent them to him. And I think today he replied and he said, but these are awesome. You know, I hadn't looked at it this way. It just, it just enables you to look at trends. And that's, what's really important. Are we on the right trend to achieve our goals? Whether you hit that goal on a s- specific day on December 31st, 2020, you know, may or may not be that important. But man, if you're on the right trend to achieve that, whether whether you hit it in January of 2021, you know your growth rate or your your revenue rate, that's not so bad. But man, if your trend's way off, you're like, you know, we we're not even close to where we need to be. And you can you can do multiple year trailing 12 months too. Oh, so absolutely. You can totally absolutely. see literally back into the future. Maybe explain like maybe this goes a good segue into those trends. Like, so like when you're looking at this stuff, what are the things that you're actually looking for and what are the trends, KPIs and, you know, the different ratios and stuff like that, that you're monitoring to make sure that you are headed in the right direction? Yeah. And, and all these, all these KPIs can be looked at on a trailing 12 month basis, but you know, you have some, you know, um, just profitability trends. So if you're, a, if you're a manufacturing company and you're looking at your gross margin, you can look at that on a trailing 12-month basis. You can always look at it on a month, you know, comparing this month to last month and this quarter to last quarter. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't leave out the trailing 12 months. That's, it's not mm-hmm. a substitute for everything. But if you see where our gross margins are going, they used to be 65 and then they started going to 62 and then they started going to 60 and now they're at 58. That's real, <laughs> that's real money. So why is that? Mm-hmm. You know, are we have we become inefficient in our labor. Is our scrap too high? You know, what, what is that? But when you, when you look at those trends, so they're profitability trends. So our SG&A expense used to be 8% of revenue, and now it's 14. Why is that? Well, we've hired more salespeople that haven't generated the sales and the profitability that we thought they were going to generate. So SG&A expense as a percent of sales is going up. That may happen early on. If you make a decision to hire three more salespeople, it takes time for them to pay for themselves. So that's why when you budget it out month by month, say, hey, for these months, they're not going to generate much revenue, but we're going to have it cost. Mm-hmm. But in six months, they should be paying for themselves. You budget that way. Then you can track to see if, if they're on target to achieve those. So the, 
the first set of ratios is just profitability. Well, I think but you just yeah, I want to highlight what something you just said because you budgeted for it, so you built the budget for all this stuff, and then you you're you're measuring these ratios against that budget, right? So like you're making right. sure. So in the first month, when your SGNA jumps as a percent of your your sales, you're not surprised. Well, we just hired these three salespeople. They're just mm-hmm. kind of getting their feet wet. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's okay to go from eight to ten percent, whatever mm-hmm. the numbers might be. But we're expecting that go from 10 to nine back to eight in three months because we mm-hmm. think that's the time frame they have to do it. If it goes up to 10 and stays at 10% of, of revenue, then you say, okay, now we need to look at this because they're not generating enough revenue to cover their cost. What, well, I mean, it's so, you know, when you look at these KPIs, these are the things that, you know, one, one uh, key performance indicators. Yep, yep. Good point. Key performance indicators. And, you know, another a great way to think about this, which I thought was fantastic in Gino's book, uh, Traction, when he said, if you're sitting on an island and someone had to drop us like a, a, a handwritten letter to you with a bunch of numbers, which are, what are the numbers that would be able to tell you how your business is doing? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's literally what it just did on an island. You look at these, what are the other ones that you can kind of, because these are the things that help you peer into the future. It's the pulse of your business. So one one of the other ones is liquidity. So um, like current ratio, quick ratio, your cash ratio, how do your current assets like inventory and AR are the big ones compared to your current liabilities, your accounts payable and things like that. That just tells you how you're managing your cash or, you know, are, are we keeping up with that or, um, you know, we're going to have trouble. And if, if you see those ratios degrading, you can know pretty soon I'm going to have trouble with that. So how liquid is your company and how, how easily can it pay its bills um, is a big one. You know, one that, that we call activity ratios. Um, you can look at, you can have two companies and they both have AR of $3 million. And just by looking at that number, you have no idea if that's good or bad. Right, right. If one company has $3 million, but their annual sales are $6 million, that's not very good because they've got half of the years of sales sitting in AR. <laughs> Where if, they, if their annual sales are, are $30 million and they've only got $3 million of AR, that's mm-hmm. pretty good because they're collecting their money. It tells you how quick you're collecting money. It'll tell you how quickly your inventory turns into sales. It tells you how, how quickly you pay your bills. When you combine all those things, there's something called a cash conversion cycle. How quickly you convert your resources into cash. So from the day you buy your inventory to the day your customer pays you, you measure that. And, and obviously, you want it as short as possible that you collect your money. But some businesses, it takes a while. But what you want to track is, how what is that trending? Is it trending up? Have I gone from 40 days uh, cash conversion cycle to 60 days. If you have, I promise you, you're having cash flow problems. Mm-hmm. And so you want to you wanna measure those because again, just looking at a raw number of AR and inventory doesn't tell you anything. And then how it, as you're looking you gotta, at it. You got to put it in perspective of some kind of ratio to, to compare it to something yep. to say, I'm, a, I'm efficiently using you know, those mm-hmm. assets. Yeah, and you can keep going too, because I know we got a couple other buckets too, which I think are interesting. Because I think you know one of the biggest questions that, that that fall into the couple of these other ones are how much debt should I have, right? I mean, like they, as I'm financing growth and all that stuff, and then how am I comparing? That's the next category: leverage ratios, we call them. So you know, how much debt do I have? How much debt do I have versus how much money am I making? And that gets to EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And that's a whole nother. Um, Topic. I don't know how deep you want to go, but it's a, it's a proxy for cash flow, really, because it takes out, you know, if somebody else were to buy your business, you know, it was debt free or cash free. That's the, that's how much operating cash your business is generating. You want to compare that to how, you, how much interest you pay. You want to compare that to your total debt. You know, you want to do things like that so that you can tell if, and again, track it over time. If we used to have total debt to EBITDA of two, so we had, you know, twice as much debt as our EBITDA, and now it's gone to four. Well, that means we've taken on a lot more debt, but we haven't made any more money. So that's, that's a problem, and your bank's going to have a problem with that. So how much debt you have, again, if you look at a balance sheet that says we have $5 million of debt, that doesn't tell you enough. Mm-hmm. You know, does your company have $5 million of sales or $50 million of sales? And 
Are you making a million dollars a year or $10 million? And then a also, year? like, even in that situation, so you got to put it in a ratio in order to understand and watch it over time to see if it's improving or degrading. Well, and I was say, make- as someone's growing, as you said, you know, growth is expensive, then like I, that ratio could go up yep. for the same company, but like they need to know. Okay. Right. Say, look, we, we need to buy more equipment or we want to expand our product off. To do that, we got to buy more equipment, open an office, and hire more people. And we're going to borrow some of the money to do that. So the very next month you do that, of course, your debt's going to go up compared to what you've made. But again, if you budgeted for that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because I just think about most entrepreneurs that I know, and especially when I started in our family business, like that situation, and you would, of course, just totally murder me, but like it would have been like this. The, the CEO, owner, visionary walks and says, hey, Pat, we opened up a location, hired these <laughs> people can't see him, but he's <laughs> she rolling his hands. Or no, we did all these things. We good, Pat? <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Can you make that work? Come on. We got enough money on our credit line and line of credit and cash in the bank. That, that only happens once with companies I work with. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're either going in the right direction or you are not working with because, <laughs> Again, though, you, when, you do, when you do budgeting, you also have to budget your balance sheet, your income statement. You have to, you have to predict where you're going to be on your line of credit and how you're going to pay your debt off. And, and so you, you've, you've got to do all that. But those liquidity ratios are, are really important to, to measure and especially to track. Because, the, again, this all gets back as a business owner, the value of your business is tied to your cash flow. That's how you measure the value of a business and, and how much cash flow there is, how sustainable the cash flow is, how predictable and how transferable the cash flow is. And all of these KPIs and these ratios and these metrics just help you monitor all of that with the end in mind. How well am I managing my cash flow? And I think what's interesting too to to make sure that the the you the listener gets hit home with is this might seem boring, it might seem daunting, annoying. I'm already making a few hundred grand, whatever, blah 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 blah. And the reality is, first of all, you can be more competitive, and business is a absolutely ten times more fun when you have this kind of information. But the second part is. If I like, I don't care if it's a two million dollar company or a two hundred million dollar company. If you're not doing this, and I'm a private equity firm, and I'm going to come in, the first thing I'm going to do because these professional buyers know this stuff, and they're going to go find this. And if you can't answer any of this stuff, your company just got devalued by probably half. Like they they just don't trust anything you're doing. Yeah, I mean, there are two reasons. One, you should just do this to to better understand your company, (laughs) make it more valuable to you as the business owner. In order to do that, get, get your hands around the finances of it and manage it in a way where, you, where you're, you're watching this and making decisions based on, on the metrics you're seeing. Every business will change ownership someday. Every business owner dies. I mean, maybe upon their death, but if you ever want to sell your business to the degree you can say, here's our budget, here's how we're measuring against here's it. Everything. Here's, here's everything. Here are the decisions we made based on light of that. Here's, if you... If you were to say to a potential buyer, here's our, here's our, our leverage ratios. Here's our, here's our list of KPIs that we monitor every month. By the way, your, here's value, our, right. your value just went up. Yeah. And by the way, here's our strategic plan and our operating system that's implementing the strategic plan and the financials that are reflecting all of that stuff. And, like, and even if, like, if you do this, it literally creates you freedom as an owner. Like when I, went done, when I got done through the process of doing this, like the man, our executives became more self-sufficient. I wasn't, oh, I wasn't, compl- I didn't hear complaints. I wasn't arguing about what we should or shouldn't do. Our me- our meetings got, e- like everything becomes easier. So, so even if you think that, okay, I want to do an ESOP. Well, this is going to help you transition the company to your employees, to, to the executives. It, can you imagine having a conversation with a bank by, by the way, if you're a banker, you, you could literally manage your bank, which I know yeah. you've, instead of your bank managing you, <laughs> You can, you can make demands on them as opposed to them. <laughs> right. And, and one thing that people need to understand, every business has risk. You have market risk, you have, you know, regulation risk, you have uh, risk at specific customers that they get bought, all of that risk. And there's some risk you can't do anything about. There's some risk you can manage. And to the degree that you can lower the risk 
of your company um, as it relates to the transferability of your cash flow to somebody else or just the generation sustainability of your cash flow, you've got a more valuable company. And what we're trying to do is enable people to learn about this so that they can harvest that value for themselves Mm -hmm. as opposed to letting somebody else down the road, they sell to private equity or they, they sell to a strategic buyer. And all of a sudden that person or entity is doing the things that because they know how to do this, right? They know how they do this every day. They do this because you can't make decisions. Like I think that I've watched and you and I have had money on the table. Just is so painful to watch. Yeah, millions and millions of dollars that they could have gotten themselves. And the reality is, what I find so intriguing is that because financiers, the private equity professional buyers know how to do what Pat just described over the last hour. They go in there, they put all this stuff into place. So that way they can make decisions and they hire consultants to do it for them. So like, oh, yeah. versus like, you know, when I think about this, it, you know, when you, to your point, Pat, that every business has risk. Yeah. From the economy for whatever it might be, technology, innovation. But like when you have clarity inside your business like this, it allows you to make the decisions to continue to be a company forever, a legacy company, because you know, so many entrepreneurs become successful sometimes in spite of themselves because they're so competitive or so knowledgeable about their industry that they run their whole company on their gut without this data, which makes it not transferable, which makes, but like, even if the, and it causes them to loosen sleep periodically because <laughs> they, they don't, they don't have their hands around yep. finances part of it. So as we're wrapping up here, I think we, we, we definitely did this some serious justice. Um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, you know, the, you know, the clients and the listeners that are listening Pat, like what would be your main takeaway, whether they've got anxiety about this or whether they've, you know, they're in the middle of this journey. I mean, what would, what would be your, your, your left, your, uh, your piece of, your piece of advice to leave them? Yeah. I, th- I think the, the main piece is most entrepreneurs and business owners are really smart. They got to where they are by building, building a great company. Give yourself, go through an honest assessment of how you think your financial reporting and metrics and that, that, that level, how, what kind of expertise you have and sophistication. Most people know the answer, whether they've got good financials, not good financials, whether they're measuring the things. You know, we had a client who we were, you and I were in the meeting with him and I had been through his financials and I brought up some points and he's like, I asked that question and nobody on my staff would answer. I thought I was stupid. You know, you're not. You in your gut, you probably know as a business owner, but figure out if you have good financial reporting. That that's really key. It'll it'll make your life so much simpler. It's some hard work at first, but it's, there's no rocket science here. There are a lot of things harder. To me, the sales process is way harder than <laughs> understanding the sales process is way harder than understanding the financials. But once <laughs> you get your hand your hands around it, start tracking it, looking at trends, understanding what it means you're going to be able to make decisions by looking forward. Uh, Ryan, you often refer to looking out the front windshield of a car as opposed to the rear view mirror and, and trying to figure out what to do because something bad happened. It's you, way more fun to even yeah. keep the company like that. I mean, it's, and, and you're going to create a, a much more valuable business. And it's, it's the language of business. So you need to learn how to speak. And because uh, it's you and I on the show right now, and I don't have to do my outro right now, and the big takeaway is attend a boot camp. <laughs> We're going to yeah. do a self, we're doing a selfless plug here because what we go through is the five principles and then Pat and I discuss in detail of what includes in the strategic plan. We go over some more of this stuff as it relates to then tying it to the valuation, the different exits and all that stuff. So yeah. Or if you, if you have a question, you want to talk about it, just give us a call. We'll be happy to talk to you. Anybody about it.